0: Greetings, dear listener, and welcome back to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. I'm your host, Nick Johannesson, and for those eagerly awaiting the seasonal status update for this uh, corner of Nordic suburbia, I can report that the quite unexpected load of snow we had last week has withered away. We're now back in cold autumn mode, chilly mornings, chilly rain, and some wonderful sun. It has meant a rapid rotation back to earthy tweeds, and of course, I appreciate that. Now, as mentioned, I have a patron now for those that wish to support the podcast. You can find it at patreon.com slash gomology. One new supporter this week. Thank you, Hanu. Your kindness and all other supporters' kindness is very much appreciated. It is, of course, entirely optional whether you want to support the podcast or not. I'm not gatekeeping my conversations, all 133 episodes are freely available for all to enjoy. So, enough of the blethering, what's this week's episode, you ask? We're off to uh, have a chat with Mark on the southern coast of England, so let's head off. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, the podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, today, my guest is coming in from the Cornish coast of Great Britain. Mark, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, Hi Nick. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm Mark Musgrave and I'm a founder and designer of an outdoor lifestyle brand called The Level Collective. Um, we specialize in uh, wax cotton backpacks and overshirts and um, organic t-shirts. Um, yeah. Kind of like a, the, but the main product is kind of like the backpacks, and then I just get a bit distracted by the other ideas. Um Yeah, so I do very tiny brand, just uh, myself and uh, and another colleague who started recently. So I'm kind of CEO, big cheese, also chief toilet cleaner and uh, accountant, and all all the things. Um, T boy, yeah, that's it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah. who is Mark? What's what's your background? What brought you to where you are today? Hmm.
1: Yeah, um, well, I'm a Scunthorpe, born and bred lad. If you don't know where Scunthorpe is, then um, it's kind of like an hour northeast of Sheffield. If you don't know where Sheffield is, then well, come on. It's on the um, coast from Liverpool, where the Beatles are from. <laughs> if you don't know where they're from, um, yeah. So um, yeah, and um, sort of had an interest in in clothes, but. I wouldn't ever say I've ever really been into fashion as such, if I can dare say that in the opening few sentences of a, <laughs> of your podcast. But um, yeah, it's sort of, I suppose was drawn to graphic design initially, and um, and I studied that at college, and and then ended up doing a business degree. Long story short, and hated most of it, <laughs> very theoretical. Um, yeah managed to get into um one of my first jobs was actually a, as a graphic designer managed to blag my way into that job and and had training kind of on the job just from i suppose just i would play with illustrator and photoshop in my spare time and things and um <clears throat> that's how I, I got into that really and um working in fashion retail part-time um were my first jobs and kind of working on the high street and got to go to head office i was very intrigued by it i suppose how it how you can create a space for someone to come into and, and relate to clothes and clothes as a, as a means of expressing um, identity and yeah, going to the head office around the sort of time of expose documentaries and asking questions about provenance and, and supply chain and things like that. When initially I would just get whatever was in the top man sale, just because working class lad, working class town, just whatever I could, um, you know, find really. and and, yeah, that really started my journey. Some of those documentaries, and just really starting to ask questions about you know who who made it, where did they make it, in what conditions, and what were they paid, and and where did the fabric come from, and what what was that impact? And yeah, it was a real kind of enlightenment for me. And so, but working in a very straight up high street uh, retailer as the intern was supposed to be making cups of tea. Well, I'm chief tea boy, um asking questions around supply chain and transparency. Just getting a lot of blank looks and being like uh, <laughs> why is the intern asking these awkward questions and not making tea um so that was my kind of initial foray into it and then i had chance to go to romania to um to volunteer with a charity in sharia in northwest romania working in roma communities and um before you think i'm all wonderful and philanthropic it was that i'll spend the summer in my hometown scunthorpe and if you've been to scunthorpe then you'll know why i wanted to (laughs) (laughs) explore the world a little further (laughs) but um yeah kind of going over there and meeting and one of the they did a lot of very practical things which was great and they formed a lot of um, amazing relationships with um uh, local people it wasn't about handouts it's about helping people to enable to help them themselves and to by starting social micro enterprises and one of them was training women in the communities how to make beanie hats and that really excited me was the first time kind of business felt exciting to me because I could see yeah the supply chain if you like and it being so personal and it being handmade and it being fair and it being about dignity rather than exploitation and it was just such a contrast to this high street experience of meeting the buyers and seeing this conversation and seeing all the smart cars parked outside it was yeah, a real contrast in it. I was just so excited, really pumped coming back from there um, and kind of, yeah, got them into a few shops. And, yeah, and so I, I still work with those guys now. So I ended up starting my brand off off the back of that, uh, initially wanting to do like a UK office for them. But, um, yeah, ended up um, starting a brand um, <laughs> just because it was going to be complicated legally and, and just the ideas kind of sprawled from there. So it feels like a series of sort of joined dots that I didn't, really when I was young I didn't ever dream of like running my own brand as such it just sort of happened (laughs) Um, yeah
0: does anyone ever ask you sort of Mark you got all into sustainable garments uh, anti-fast fashion and then you're Mm. thinking let's start another brand to save the planet
1: or is that (laughs) Um, in terms in terms of are you part of the problem is that is that what are getting at not really
0: it was just a, a flippant question really because oh, right. <laughs> I, I see so many so many brands that start up wanting to save the planet mm. by making more clothes and you're sort of wondering
1: do they see the sense of irony here at all <laughs> yeah yeah definitely no but it's a really great question to ask and 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 something to ask myself as well and 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 that is a yeah is a is a point of contention in in all this in, is what i'm creating am i adding to the noise am i adding value am i or am i just adding to the noise and like that's a really great question that anyone who makes anything should ask and and certainly yeah when it involves using natural um fiber and or, or anything um it all has an impact whatever your lovely sustainability page says no one and whatever anyone tells you about the recycled plastic or whatever that they use that they think is saving the world like everything has an impact and um, that's just the reality um which yeah it's 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 a great question I suppose for me my angle was initially so that was 2014 I started the brand and it was more from a providing an alternative to unethically made fast fashion so it was about the level collective was kind of about fairness for everyone involved in the in the supply chain and it wasn't and and kind of using organic fibers but that was the angle really to provide an alternative and, and you know in the last almost decade you've seen a, a huge growth in that kind of market and a huge growth in in customer interest in in those topics and and people wanting to shop more consciously but obviously with all that you get a whole load of greenwashing and and all the big companies claiming to be sustainable to to the point at which what does sustainability even mean um so but i suppose to answer the question more directly maybe in my mind um creating products um in a way that i know they're going to last and i know in a way that i know where all the materials come from where for the most part i I know the person who's made it by name, um, especially the bags. You know, Leslie makes all of our bags, um, and yeah, I suppose pieces that people are going to keep for a really long time and are worthwhile. It's not a just, a, oh, I'll just get this bag for now. It's a, it's an investment piece. They're very expensive to make and they're very expensive to to buy, obviously, um, as a result of the care and attention that goes into making them and you, the all the materials which are expensive and durable so so yeah it's a a really great question and, and one that i think people often avoid but um yeah that's that's kind of the answer but it but it's i suppose my question is like how do i or my challenge for the next stage is like how how do i yeah how do i always not be part of the problem even as i look to grow and grow my team and grow what we do how is there a way to grow in a way that is truly sustainable in every sense and and that isn't just about perpetual growth um can you have a healthy business that pays people's wages um and um and and that's the other angle you know working with um organic cotton suppliers working with individual makers and a lot of factories and workshops in this country that's it's livelihoods and um that you're supporting as well so it's an interesting one if you're just like right everyone stop making anything we've got enough of everything it's just like what what happens to you know those those really great makers and craftspersons and and workshops that are trying to do things the right way and make things really well to last that aren't um disposable that are the opposite of that um you know what happens to all that knowledge and skill set and and beauty the beauty of creating um creating things and, and artwork and part of how 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 we're how we're made to create and find our own spin on things and yeah, it's, it's an int- you can probably tell as I've rambled on that it, it, it is an interesting quandary of mine that, that comes to mind um, that there isn't a simple answer to.
0: No, I mean, that that is the true answer. Is it? it isn't simple and it's also not such a binary uh, topic because you can't be either sustainable or not sustainable. There's always going to be oh. some level of it. And any brand that says, oh, we're totally sustainable, you know that. No, you're mm. not really. And if you're saying mm. you are, it's probably because you're buying carbon offsets, which is a total scam. So <laughs> it's all just rubbish. Um, but I think, I mean, starting a brand wanting to be a more sustainable t- alternative, as long as you're stealing custom from those that truly aren't, yeah. you're doing well, <laughs> uh, you're not actually adding to the problem because you're taking stuff away from the guys who are really the problem. mm. And as you say, I mean, a T-shirt that lasts for three years is infinitely better than one that lasts a week. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I didn't sound too too wise there. I know, but uh, there were so many <laughs> things from what you were saying that I wanted to jump in on. But uh, there you go, oh,
1: big big hitter to get us going, eh?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's I mean, it's, a, it's such a tricky topic, and and mm. one I did. I did make a sort of conscious effort to lay off the sustainability a bit because it was getting me down so much. Mm. And it also has become such a buzzword, as you mentioned. Mm. I mean, it's sort of lost its meaning. What does it even Mm. mean any longer? Mm. And I think most of those who are hashtagging with it or claiming to be proponents of it are also just using it as a word without real meaning any longer.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, Because, I mean, whenever you see sustainability now, it's going to be some greenwashing attempt by someone or other. So maybe we need better words.
1: And I suppose, yeah, it's very true. And I suppose, for me, that's where the sort of focus around craft, high craft and telling the story of how a product's made and who's making it becomes even more important there because it's, it's indisputable. It's not a vague word. It's not a vague sentiment. It's we work with these people. We make it out of these fibers for this reason um and um yeah that has a lot more meaning and story behind it than just using buzzwords like you say Um, i'm a
0: total sucker for the stories you mentioned leslie makes your backpacks i mean what's the story there
1: yeah well she's she's been working in wax with wax cotton and and leather for 35 years um so there's a journal post on our website that shows her smiling as a 21 year old. in her first workshop, which is, which is lovely. Um, and yeah, how did I come? I came across her about four years ago. So I was working with, so I, I, oh man, <laughs> yeah. Where do I start? I'm flitting that everywhere. So it was Just obviously the journey with me designing go right
0: back to the start.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's do that. Well, I hope everyone's sitting comfortably. Um, so I was already, after beginning the brand, I'd kind of designed a series of graphic t-shirts, which were going well and um and i was kind of i'd really enjoy the art direction i can't draw for toffee but i enjoy ideas and i have a feel for color and composition i'd say um and i really love the collaborative process of working with illustrators and an artist to kind of bring out an idea um and but i kind of done that several times and just felt ready for a new design challenge and i thought i'll design a bag (laughs) it can't be that hard um and I figured it was, it's something that's very, it's a longevity piece, isn't it? It's an investment piece. It's something, it's a companion that you take all over, the, all over the world with you, something you use every day. And it just feels a lot, yeah, it just feels a lot more of a sentimental piece, I suppose, than, um, than other, than other garments. Um and yeah, so I went to see a design company in Sheffield that did, that did freelance bag design um, and had the initial meeting with them. We didn't really get as far as chatting about the designs um, specifically, but we just it was just kind of oh, can we work together? This is kind of what I'm, I'm aiming at. And I was like, oh, great. I've found someone good to work with. And then I get a call from him two days later saying, I'm, I'm really sorry, Mark, I would love to work with you, but he's been offered brand director at this big company and he's closing his company down yeah. and he, we can't work with you. So I was like, oh. <laughs> Right. (laughs) And, um, I'd kind of looked about on illustrator and done some very rudimentary mockups, um, of kind of how, yeah, just proportionally how I saw it coming together, the color palette and the different components at that time, I'd ordered loads of samples. And I'd had an idea, you know, I wanted it to be this natural fiber kind of heritage fibers, but organic and fluorocarbon free, but also in the more contemporary design and, um, but I, I needed something physical and so i i started making i cut i had some off some end of roll from a local fabric shop and i started some like cheap corduroy type stuff that i just started cutting up like measuring out and, and cutting up and tried sewing it together but was very clear i would pass away from blood loss very soon with my needle usage and quickly realized actually a stapler would be a very quick way of doing it in fact i brought this to show you so this is terrible podcasting but um maybe some of the jangling will be good for the soundscape but you can see my this is one of the original prototypes that i made by stapling together and pins and all sorts sticking pins. everywhere i mean yeah don't try it on you would get tetanus or all sorts from it but um but it really worked for like creating a physical sense of proportion and you know i could this was an earlier one that i had a lid on the top but i ended up ripping that off and extending it to make it a roll top but it was so good for rapid prototyping and just meant that i could you know as the designer really get a feel for what it was like not just the color but how how the fabric sat and the yeah just how the materials inter- interacted obviously <laughs> it's, it's so rud- rudimentary Um there's pictures of it on a, on a journal post as well on my site um if you want a good laugh but but yeah, it was really helpful for getting even, even things like the webbing, like knowing I wanted the webbing to be thirty-eight millimeters rather than twenty-five mil because it just looked a little bit scrawny, and I wanted everything to feel quite um, chunky and robust. And so I actually stand by the pencil and um, stapler as a as a key design tool for someone who can't use a sewing machine. Um, it, yeah, it was a re- it was really great and really gave me the confidence. Like I just I just didn't feel qualified to. I've had no fashion design training. I've had very basic illustrator and Photoshop training. I did graphic design and photography at college, as I've said, but I've, I'm just blagging it. There's the truth of it. I'll just come out and say it. Um, if you haven't worked it out already. Um, but yeah, I, I was pleased that I did that because I felt that I needed almost permission to do it. And then you realize you don't, you just need to just give something a try. And then the key thing, obviously find people who are really brilliant at what they do. Someone like Leslie, um, but kind of, if you've got a vision for something and, and ideas, um, then just getting involved in making it and understanding even the process of how the things go together and what would go together first and how they attach, like it—it it, it was pretty pinnacle for for me growing in confidence as a designer and thinking, actually, I can I can do this. I do know what I want, and and then um, I worked with someone in Sheffield who was like a freelance seamstress who helped me kind of prototype it and get it to the next stage. So it didn't give you tetanus <laughs> and yeah, just really move the design uh, forward to the first, I did a Kickstarter through, um, I did a Kickstarter and, and launched the first, uh, model, which was the Winnet's roll top, uh, which is our best seller. And then from there have kind of designed the scout bum bag and, and the, the mini, and then the Logan pack, um, which is our kind of all, all singing or dancing pack, if you like. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, it was kind of a story, I suppose of of um very much blagging it but kind of growing in confidence along the along the way and trusting my convictions and then finding uh, finding the right people to work with to, to bring those ideas to life and um yeah and it yeah it's pretty cool to think and see photos from people of all over the world who've sent me from wearing the backpack and it's just like that's just pretty mad that it started as just some off cuts of fabric and a stapler
0: I think there's a couple of important lessons in what you you just said. I mean, one is the fact that even though you didn't have the required tools and skills to bring your idea to life by using a stapler, you actually overcame that hurdle and the idea could be made into fruition. Um, The other one was you're admittedly no expert designer of backpacks, but you didn't let that stop you. And I, that tallies very well with something I often think. I would use music as an example. Hmm. If someone has been doing something for many, many, many years, they are super technically expert in what they're doing, but they're never going to have that surprise element that actually makes something brilliant. But someone might come in from the side with actually no real musical talent, but stumble into something and create something genius.
1: Mm. Yeah, this so, kind of. A- there's kind of a knowing the rules to break the rules approach, and, and that's certainly the ideal, but there's also like a, a naivety,
0: not even knowing our <laughs> <are> rules.
1: <laughs> yeah. Ignorance is bliss kind of approach as well can sometimes work, as long as you then work with people who do know what they're on about and, and, and can, um, yeah, make suggestions for improving things along the way, which there's been a few.: <laughs>
0: <clears throat> So you'd created your prototypes and then you discovered Leslie
1: well i was working with a lady called sarah in sheffield to make the first the first prototypes yeah and and she made the first uh, oh, that was it and i worked with a factory in liverpool to make the first batch which was a good learning curve they hadn't worked with natural fiber before and there was a few things they didn't get quite right there's a few things i didn't get quite right the weight of the organic cotton needed to be heavier and there was a so i brought out a second iteration um you know a year or so later and the buckles that i'd made and so i designed my own buckles um and had them laser cut out of stainless steel and then polished. which is a story in itself which i can, I can get into if you like <laughs> but yeah. um yeah there were things in the buckles it turned out that when we were webbing got worn in and 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 went freer it would just it would flow too easily through the through the uh, buckles i hadn't field tested it enough and and so I had to replace I had to recall and replace a load of the first batch of backpacks so it was just a nightmare but it was and it was yeah quite anxiety provoking at the time but it was all it's all learning like with hindsight and kind of hopefully a bit more being a bit kinder to myself I realize it's all just learning the first iteration of anything even when people know what they're doing doesn't go well necessarily or there's things to learn that they've got the first generation of yeah of any uh, of any product isn't isn't generally particularly good, but but there were a lot of things that were good, and it's very sort of minor but important tweaks that I did with the with the second generation, really upgrading the waxed organic cotton and and uh, making the lining just more visually um vibrant, and then obviously getting the buckles right, and yeah, but it was all iterating. But there was there was um, yeah, I've kind of aimed for sort of a a simplicity, um, but getting the components were the real key for thing for me and the attention to detail with how it was made you'll find bags with a lot more internal storage and, and pockets but in terms of trying to just get something that is that is beautiful and and has plenty of storage and and not overkill and at a price point that I can try and make work that yeah it's all those negotiations um but yeah it's proved to be very popular and I get yeah wonderful comments from customers and people just dropping me emails out of the blue and you're like wow this is kind of why I do it because it's genuinely brightening someone's commute, and they really appreciate the attention to detail. Pass the thanks on to Leslie, and which I do, and 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 that's really great when you get that sense of connection with a customer who who gets it, who appreciates it. It's not just a bag for them; it's it's something that they've saved up for. It's something that it means something to them, and that yeah, that means a lot.
0: It's an interesting product range, really, backpacks because there's no shortage of backpacks. of Mm. designs but it's also an item that is very much configured to the human body so it doesn't the the physical parts of it don't really change over time
1: Mm.
0: but still trying to come up with something that kind of hasn't been done before or a unique solution or
1: just something different Mm. how did you go about that? it was really kind of looking looking what was out there that i that i really liked and and looking at where i thought there was a bit more of a yeah where i couldn't find what i wanted so i suppose i could find quite a lot of heritage fiber bags but they looked very heritage they looked very um I'm trying to avoid using that expression <laughs> they looked very not they didn't look they didn't feel contemporary i suppose um nice. and and so that was an aspect of it and just often it, it's often just in the details like the the buckles were a bit flimsy or a bit naff or a bit it, it's just yeah it's all everything adds together you know i've not there's nothing new under the sun The proverb says and and it's true and like everything is a remix which is like i've just as every designer will tell you i borrowed different proportions different color palettes different um fabrics from 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 various sources of inspiration and and kind of brought them together in in what i yeah in what feels unique to me you'll it's not a yeah i've, I've not reinvented the wheel but i i like to think that there is an originality and, and a, something distinct about the way i've sort of tried to keep things simple and contemporary looking and, and boxy yet kind of using those the heritage um, fibres that you know just age so well and have such character especially the wet wax uh, finishes and Hallie Stevenson's make some of the best wax cotton going I've had samples from loads and loads of places um, and I've never found any that's quite yeah that's quite the same in terms of rigidity and texture and
0: I suppose the the sort of first question you have to ask yourself is whether you're going to make something as profitable as possible I mm. as- cheap, but nice looking mm. or as good as possible. Mm. And I mean, the world is full of stuff, which is made as cheaply as possible.
1: <laughs> mm. Yeah. I suppose like come in, in from it <laughs> where I initially started, if I'm honest, was like, I just come from the t-shirt world and the net and the next product was like a bag and, you know, I mentioned my background. I thought 120 pounds, that's an expensive bag. Like I had an idea of the end price being 120 pounds for the customer. And as I got the samples back and how much per meter, sorry, (laughs) and, and got all the, I just very quickly reached a crossroads where I was like, right. I either try and make something to a price point or I make something exactly as I want it to be. And I just think this is going to be niche fuck it it's going to be something I'm, I'm proud of and that is as good as i want it to be um and obviously i chose the latter but yeah that was quite interesting and and the cost price is is more than that just just for me is it costs you know more than that per per bag and so it was very much very eye-opening um and obviously that's partly making in britain which is a whole of a conversation in itself um and and obviously the components doing the buckles in that way rather than just getting them off the shelf and and it all it all adds up to something that's that's um expensive to make but but really special and and it's really amazing to work with someone like leslie and I think that adds so much um her attention to detail and care and she's she's just lovely like she's lovely to work with and she you can tell she puts her heart and soul into into every every one of them but yeah that that price price point thing like you say is is really interesting and it's really interesting with the logan pack I don't know if you've seen that one, but the one with like I was like, right, we're going to do the leather base. We're going to we're going to screen print topography from Logan's Rock and on organic canvas, and we're going to line it with that. And then we're going to have a laptop pocket there, and then we're going to have a sternum strap with more stainless steel buckles there. And they're just so expensive to make. Interval stitching along the straps, and I was just genuinely like, I don't care how much it costs to make. Like, I just want to do my. This was three years after I'd made the winners roll top so I just wanted to better myself I just wanted to make something that was the next that that I felt that I could do I couldn't have designed the Logan at that point um you know I'd come a long way from a stapler <laughs> um but I but but <laughs> at that point three years ago I felt like I'd learned enough to be like right well what next what's what's the next kind of um upmanship in terms of in a healthy way in terms of adding more beauty and more detail and, and more interest so um, and that, and and oddly, I was just like, right, they're going to be four hundred ninety-five quid, like that. It's really not cheap. That sounds ridiculous. If you'd asked me a few years ago, um, but it's been one of my best sellers, even over the like the last year, um, because it's because I think people can see the attention to and everything. And if you think, well, if I'm in for that much, then I mean, I might as well <laughs> um, get be singing or dancing one if you like that has that level of detail so yeah there's definitely and that's probably why i've not really made much money because <laughs> because it, there is an element of i just want to make this as beautiful as i can and i want to price it as fairly as i can so you know you'll know most things that you buy the manufacturer they or the brand will multiply it between eight and twenty times you know i don't do that like i multiply it by two sometimes not even not even that just to try and make the numbers work and they're not they're not cheap products and they're not cheap for the end customer. And I I respect that and I I don't take that for granted. And I appreciate that they're not accessible for a lot of people. But at the same time, it's not silly designer prices either. There's kind of like, I'm trying to keep things as fair as possible, um, bearing in mind the the quality and the provenance of who's made it, where it's made and all the rest of it. Like it, it's a very, yeah, <laughs> that's also a complex thing.
0: It's quite clear that you're your conscience is holding you back from becoming truly
1: ruthless (laughs) yeah um, so uh,
0: i mean you couldn't find a a worse way to produce than you are i guess i mean tiny volumes yeah um no economies of scale everything as good as possible only (laughs) sourcing the best materials i mean you're doing yourself no favors here (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you don't want to invest then. No. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a challenge making, making the numbers work and, and, um, and, and yeah, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm talking with, with other workshops and, and just exploring other possibilities for different product ranges and yeah, trying to, you know, I'm a realist too. I've got, a, I've got 2 year old who's, who's just amazing and, and a wife and uh, uh, who's also amazing and, well mortgage to pay i've got the realities of all that and the numbers have to work and it and it and it is a challenge i'd say i'd say there is scalability to this business i i think the challenge is finding enough enough people like there are plenty of people who will appreciate what i do just most people don't know i exist and um and that's a challenge with a tiny budget marketing budget and um yeah uh (laughs) so yeah and 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 there's there's you know, there's accessibly priced items as well, like, you know, m merino Wolbini hats, thirty-five quid made in Britain and stuff like this. there's there's different things. That's why the collection hopefully complements each other, just because there's there's more um accessible price pointed items as as well as but for me the backpacks are like the the flagship. Um but like even delving into shirts like that was a whole interesting thing with the maker over shirt um that I did a couple of years ago that um that i overcomplicated, but really enjoyed with it being a dry wax cotton and having several layered pockets but yeah there's there's certain i've got a couple of mentors who are really great who are asking me some challenging questions and trying to get me to yeah <laughs> kind of work out what where where do i need to like it doesn't matter what it costs that's just what it is they're the flagship pieces and, and what where where can i make things that are still to an amazing standard that are still beautiful, but uh, maybe a simpler design that just makes it, just makes it more reachable for for more people, I suppose. Um, you know, less pockets and things like that, because all the, as you'll know, all the, all the extra bits of workmanship add to the cost. But yeah, it's re- it's really tricky. I, I describe myself as a designer and accidental business owner because I I love the collaborative process. I love the colors. I love the. Um, Yeah, particularly collaborating with other brands we've got a couple working on at the minute and that's what gives me energy and the people and meeting people at events when i do pop-ups but ah, trying to make the numbers work and doing the business side of things just doesn't excite me at all but obviously that's how the world goes around so i guess it comes
0: down to sort of why you're in the business at all because Mm. i mean if you started up your business with the intention of having an aston martin in three years i mean (laughs) clearly you're going to be disappointed (laughs) <laughs> but if your ambition is much lower and you really want to make nice things for nice people, do some good in the world, I mean, that's, I think people will come to you because you're genuine then.
1: Hmm. But, yeah, definitely. Uh,
0: so many businesses these days, I mean, you know, they have a plan to be bought out within two or three years. Uh, hmm. So they massively have to up the volume and make the company viable for a buyout. And, you can, the, the heart's not in it. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think you can smell that when that's the case. Um, yeah, but yeah. It doesn't it's tricky, put beans yeah, on it your toast, though. It doesn't, it doesn't put beans on my toast, no. Uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it's an ongoing battle, but I suppose my my challenging goal is, you know, and the colleague who, who's brilliant, uh, Bruce, who works with me, he being such a tiny business he gets involved in all sorts but one thing he works on is is the the marketing side of things and like yeah trying trying to tell our story better and trying to reach more people is a is definitely a a challenge but you know when we do when we have had features had a really great feature in country living a few years a couple of years ago and that was just so great because it was it was some of the right people and and the people just got it they six page feature on the design story and how it came about and people just got it and sent a photographer down to show the bags being made and spent a day with me and Susie. And um, yeah, it was was great. So I I suppose it kind of keeps you on the hook, the the hope that of, um, of getting some exposure and finding the right people. And and that is why collaborations are fun. And, and, uh, you know, as well as from a creative process, like being able to reach other people's audiences who also appreciate and have similar values is obviously a, yeah, a good way to, help people to know you exist so um yeah that's that feels at the more fun end of things for me than yeah <laughs> than paying google and feeding the zuck the zucker monster but it's yeah it's it's a really interesting it's a really interesting industry to be in <laughs> clothing is so so multifaceted you've got to think of so many things you can't just be a, unless you go and work for someone else you can't just be a designer you've got to you've got to yeah really have a lot of hats on um, metaphorically, um, but um, but yeah, I enjoy the challenge for the most part.
0: So you've been doing this for about ten years now. Mm. So would you say that your market or the appreciation of what you're doing has changed in that decade? Uh, are people more or less? I mean, clearly people are willing to pay almost five hundred five hundred pounds for a backpack, mm. um, which says. But it does display a certain interest in what you're doing. I mean, mm. Do you think that interest was there ten years ago, or because I, th- I think there is a shift in consciousness, not massive, but enough for companies like yours to actually be viable?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I suppose it depends. It, d- it depends where. I, d- I dare say, ten years ago, there were there are pockets of people who, for British British made, has always been important for them, or. High provenance has always been important for them i must admit it's been i've been more surprised by younger people like people in their early 20s and like um and and people at uni who have said that they've saved up and got people to chip in and towards getting a pair of the uh, backpack or, or getting a pair of the fracat boots that we do with them and that that blows my mind because when I was that age, I was, I wasn't thinking in terms of that, in terms of buy less choose. Well, okay. I was thinking maybe around the lines of sustainability and things when I was at uni, but it, it wasn't in terms, it's really the making the backpacks. that's pivoted me towards appreciating high craft and making in this country and, and appreciating the value of things. And, and we just don't get it because we're so used to cheaply made things and things getting cheaper, um, um, on, in terms of the high street, but, I think in terms of people asking more questions about where things come from, I think that has massively increased. Um, But as has competition, as has more brands who are doing it, however, genuinely or otherwise, um, companies, more companies wanting, realizing that they need to use organic cotton and, and have more transparency in terms of their supply chain. So it's, Yeah, so I think more people are asking questions, but there's also more choice than ever because the barriers to kind of growing a brand are much lower. But yeah, I suppose I I was quite lucky when I was just getting going because Instagram was just kind of emerging in 2014. And I kind of, I managed to kind of ride that wave initially when before ambassadors were a thing and I just, and sorry, influencers were a thing. And um, yeah, particularly in Northwest America initially, um kind of connecting with a few people on instagram and them saying oh i really like what you do if you send me a t-shirt i'll you know i'll take it next time i go to banff national park and you're like oh okay you post one and then they take this wicked picture in this cool place and and then you've got two thousand new followers like that doesn't happen so much these days but um back in the day it was it, it was it was really it was really good and you know i went out there i went vancouver seattle portland and stayed with these instagrammers that i'd met and and they were just lovely interesting adventurous people who just let me kind of stay at theirs and and, and just went on adventures with them and it was a really exciting time and then and then instagram brought all its partitions in and algorithms and all that and it, it just and all advertising you know it, it's become what it's become, but that was a particularly exciting time to be to be on it and it felt like a a really brilliant community at that point um and yeah it was was adventurous and and 70 percent of my customers were there in pacific northwest which is mad for you know a lad in sheffield who was just sticking some photos on a platform there was no advertising at that point it was just yeah so that was interesting but i was that that avenue's gone to pot (laughs) but um yeah i don't know how i got onto that sorry (laughs)
0: No, but that's a, it's an interesting topic. Uh, how uh, how brands can actually reach people these days, and I do know brands that spend a fortune uh, on Facebook and Instagram advertising, and um, they can put all, their entire success down to the fact that they're spending a fortune on this because they are reaching so many people quite directly. Mm. But that depends. I mean, are you a high volume company or are you low volume? Um, if your profit is in shifting massive amounts of units, and I think a lot of advertising is required, but if you're making, say, hundred backpacks a year, mm. then you only need to find a hundred people, and that's a lot easier than finding the twenty thousand you need.
1: It is, yeah. I suppose just to just to just to be tr- uh, clear, like I, I do use Facebook and Instagram adverts, albeit uh, resentfully and with not a brilliant return, <laughs> to be fair. But yeah, it's kind of getting to that. Yeah, it's trying to make those numbers work um, as well, and yeah, and and that's a challenge. That's a challenge for, for me to make all of those numbers work. You need to reach new people, and you can do print stuff, but not have any measurability with it. Or you know, digital stuff is very measure, measurable and can be can be can you, you can get some return, but they seem diminishing. But I guess the ID the idea of it is that you build trust and it's a start of a relationship and part of a welcome series of emails I send is like here's 10 reasons why we're different and it's about like kind of nurturing that relationship I suppose and and, and telling more of the story but but yeah it's all that's that's the challenge as I say I'm not a marketeer I'm a I'm a product designer and I'm trying to trying to work out how to but if I don't do the marketing side of the business properly I can't pay people like Leslie and i I certainly can't pay myself <laughs> so it's um yeah so if yeah, you know someone who wants to uh <laughs> someone famous who wants to wear my things and talk about them to all their wonderful followers then yeah, send them my way
0: <laughs> yeah yeah because uh, i, I notice you also do i mean quite different things you, mm. you mentioned your graphic tees and your backpacks and uh shirts but you also do the fracat boots and you do a knife mm. uh mm. These are all collaborations. I take it. I mean, I know yeah. frack up from before, but, uh.
1: yeah, yeah. Like for me, <clears throat> I had a pair of, um, frac caps and I, I, I do, I like, I love doing, doing a good flat lay, um, call myself my Michael flat lay, um, flat lay photo and arrangement of my, um, of my products. And I just put my, my boots in just cause I thought it really suited the vibe. And, um, just had loads of people being like, where are the boots from? And I'm just like. <laughs> and, and I just contacted the team in Italy, just, just via Google translate. And, um, and they were just, they took a bit of persuading just cause I was quite you know, tiny compared to the, a lot of the companies that they were working with at the time. And, um, but they were, yeah, they, they came round and <laughs> after a lot of pestering, I'm quite persistent. Um, and I was like, I think, I think I'll be able to sell quite a few of these, um, to my customers because i think they love them and and they have I've done a few i'm just getting a, they should arrive sometime this week at, at one of my new colors but i've done two colors in five or six different batches now and 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 sold a few hundred pairs in it and and it's been really good and it's amazing that you know that they see whatsapps me videos of, of them being made in the factory in the different stages for me to be able to share that with my customers and it yeah it just feeling really personal and even though they're like the other side of europe like it's it's really brilliant how um yeah up for working with me that they are and you know obviously I pay the bills i'd sell the stuff and that's their workshop and i want to support what they do and they they do a great great job that they've been going uh, for all that time and um it's cool to work with them and i couldn't i couldn't find i just love the style of it obviously there's boot makers in in britain but i i couldn't find any that that were exactly that style that I, that I felt really worked well with, um, with the rest of my product. So it just felt like a good fit. And in terms of, you know, if you compare it with the effort that it takes to source all the, like 18 different suppliers and components just to get the components to Leslie, to make the bag with ordering the boots, obviously it's, it's, it's less, it's kind of, it's a yeah mutually beneficial kind of collaboration. And, um, you know, I, I choose the colors, they have my brass dye I choose, yeah. All the colors for the different parts and things. And, um, yeah, and, and yeah, it, it's just, it's a good, um, yeah, it's, it's just worked well for us. I know that we're getting a great, you know, I wear them and I love them. And so I, I believe in, in the product and my customers do too. So it kind of, for an effort to reward ratio, it's, it's good.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, having products that
0: you yourself actually use and enjoy i mean that does say something doesn't it if you only stock the stuff you like
1: yeah i mean yeah i suppose <laughs> i suppose that's the thing with being and for, for better and worse like when you're the sole person that runs it you get to make those choices like you have ultimate autonomy with what colors you get in and what you think people like What. You know, I don't just get things that suit me and what like because people have different skin tones and different preferences. But, um, but yeah, like yeah, having the autonomy to, to make those choices and and believing in what I'm selling, I couldn't get something in that I thought was poorer quality or that I just didn't believe in in what it was. So um, yeah, that's that's um, that's super important. And I'm doing a working on a collaboration with Norman Walsh um, they're making a very small batch for us and just being able to, you know, receiving all the swatches of, um, of the suede and, and we're kind of, um, mixing in some of the dry ripstop wax cotton left over from my overshirts, and yeah, making a, 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 kind of a rework of one of their, uh, I think their oldest model strike and they have just been really fun to work with, but just playing with color and being able to, you know, obviously their provenance, their story and, um, but just being able to choose all those colors and make our own version of it is just, yeah, it's just really exciting to me. And spent far too long on Photoshop dicking about with all the possibilities and and, <laughs> and just getting lost in the sea of possibilities. I'm like, oh, that's just 10 different variants for just the heel tip and what color that is. And I just get lost in that because that's where I nerd out. But um, yeah, but that's that's how it all fits together. I like to think that there's like a balance with it. So there's, you know, with the with the the Frac app and you know that's yeah a really brilliant product and fairly fairly straightforward to bring about and then with with this one and the backpacks there's there's a lot of messing about probably probably not worth the effort for the for the for the money financially if you were looking at it purely financially you'd be like that's probably not worth doing that collaboration but in terms of for me the excitement as a designer and what it is for the, in terms of building brand and in terms of this is what we're about and this is what's exciting and and this could be let's do this tiny run and see how they sell and if there's interest let's take pre-orders and do another batch next spring and see where it goes because it's got to work for everyone and um i'm not about creating imaginary scarcity like if you know if there's enough people who want them then then that's great to be able to support walsh's and and um and to have had yeah it's a privilege to to be able to pick whatever colors i want to that's going to be on a trainer like that i'm going to wear like that's yeah, that's pretty cool. And when I, on days when I get bogged down with having to do spreadsheets and just annoying days when things are quiet and it's, you know, it's not the easiest time at the minute for, for retail. Um, and you're like, does anybody give a shit about any of this <laughs> really? Does anybody care? Um, you know, it's kind of things like that, that kind of bring me back <laughs> from the edge and, um, yeah, just remind me why I do it as well as, you know, the nice comments from customers and things.
0: Yeah. I mean, if uh, if you're having days of existential
1: doubt, then uh, you
0: do need something to cheer you up.
1: Yeah. I mean, anyone who runs do, does their own thing must have, or maybe it's just me, and I know it's not just me, but anyone who does their own Probably thing must, uh, <laughs> must, well, I know for a fact, yeah, the different sort of founders and, and makers and creative people that I know that do their own thing, they they regularly question <laughs> the point of it or do, do enough people care about this to make this viable do is this viable is another question not is it meaningful but is this viable and um does this work financially and does this is this what the world needs like they're good questions to ask they're just bad holes to get this disappeared down they just have to be counterbalanced with realities uh, of the positive that that I am doing in the world and um the great people that i get to work with and the great customers that i have and um yeah that's that's just i don't know it's just the way my brain works just uh, you know thinking about things on on the, in the scale of the world and where i sit and we've only, only got so much time haven't we so yeah how are we <laughs> how are we making a positive difference wow <laughs> things got heavy Sorry, that, got, that got pretty deep <laughs>
0: But uh, I mean, I think as long as I think it's what we do, I mean, that we're ethically behind it. I mean, you could be pushing out limited edition stuff, collectibles, where your customers are compelled to buy each uh, version of something that they don't really need. But uh, Mm. it's so compelling because they need the matched set of all the 177 T-shirts you'll be releasing over the next six months. Mm. uh, So that they can brag to their friends that they've got all numbered, limited edition, signed. Uh, So in 16 years, you can say to your daughter that, uh, "Yeah, I took advantage of uh, human collectors."
1: Yeah, well done, Dad. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I mean, if you're selling stuff to people who generally need it and want it, and it's good stuff, I, I mean, business has to be a business. Hmm.
1: Yeah definitely and uh, yeah as i say it is a it's a privilege to work work with people like leslie and the different manufacturers that i work with like it, it's great to support to support them and and what they do and they yeah they're doing they're doing a good thing um, and um, yeah that's uh, you know choosing yeah buy stuff buy less choose well is you know gets trotted about a lot but there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to that and i think there is a way of of managing that balance both, both at the customer and individual level and, um, as a business to, to find a balance between, you know, what it, what is un- unchecked capitalism is an absolute mess. And that's why we, where we find ourselves right now, but actually careful, considered, um, growth and, and making a healthy business that pays people fairly and, um, and that treats people well and that provides an excellent product for people to enjoy using. Like that's you know, that's a good thing. It's not solving world hunger, but it's um, but it's a good thing in the world. Yeah.
0: Mm. Now you mentioned the buy less, buy better, buy once, uh, use mm. it for longer. Mm. I, I have been on something of a, a fool's quest. I think trying to find out what actually makes something better or more usable or more loved, uh, what what are we looking for in a product that would Hmm. mean that we'll actually take more care of it and actually use it for longer? Because it's easy to make something shiny. It's easy to make something uh, that you sort of fall in love with initially. But, Hmm. I mean, much like human relationships, uh, how do you find the love of your life, the one you'll stick with forever?
1: Yeah. And can you as a product
0: developer? I mean, can you sort of give it an aura? Can you give it that magic?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it, it comes. That's a really great question, and that I suppose taking the bags as an example, like the very fact that you still find wax cotton bags and jackets that are fifty plus years old, like in vintage shops and things like that. And how they've aged, and yeah, it's been interesting to see. It. it always comes back around, doesn't vintage? I just don't feel like it's ever really gone out. But even more so, an appreciation for things that have been around for a while and age well. So I suppose using heritage fibers as opposed to um, polyester and other man-made fibers, like they do age in a different way. They do carry a story in a different way. They don't look as pristine for long. They sun bleach easier. They, um, in some ways, they'll need m- repairing more often, but. Um, yeah, they've got more of a, a story to them. So I suppose it's it's kind of not in just a romantic way, but in a, in, a, in a real way, making that connection between the product and and the person and the fact that you know my bag's been around the world with me, and and I remember it from that, and I had this on them. Look, look at that photo where I'm wearing, <laughs> wearing this bag up up that mountain or in that place. And yeah, the, I suppose it, it's 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 um, it feels easier with a product like a bag that is that is. An investment piece that you keep for a long time and you use it every day and it does feel more like a, a companion and um yeah that that feels that feels easier to to make that kind of leap and and for someone to want to keep that for a long time because it just looks better with age i suppose and something that wears in not out uh, i've heard it said before which i which i quite like um and yeah and and it being cool like we do we do offer a repair service because and we do a number of repairs on people's Bags that have had them, you know, four or five years, and and they just want to breathe fresh life in them, and actually they want a contrast patch of the wax cotton, so it shows off the (laughs) the repair, if you like, and they like the fact that it's beaten up. You know, it's not going to be to everyone's taste. Some people do like just the shiny new look, and I can't, you know, I can't do anything about that. But I think, yeah, I. I appreciate and i know a lot of people appreciate something that looks that looks lived in that looks better think of like selvage denim obviously looks so much better when it's been worn in um is another good example i suppose
0: um, <clears throat> i have to disagree
1: <clears throat> right okay really
0: <laughs> I'm, the, I'm that weird guy who thinks his jeans looks best the first day first and from day, now are it's all okay? downhill
1: <laughs> really okay fair enough fair enough well there you go isn't it wonderful that <laughs> well, we're all different
0: <laughs> I mean, i would like a service that sort of uh re-indigos my jeans yeah when they're starting to look old and scrappy but i realize i'm the only guy in the world who thinks that I'm completely, <laughs> completely daft for it but uh, yeah um waxed cotton though is having something i think it's due a real comeback now because mm. uh, we are reaching the end of the line for the synthetic fabrics one when thing is that? the polyester, the oil-based stuff mm. And there's also the DWR, the durable water resistance, which has been—I mean, it's the CFC-based stuff that is cancerous and shitty and crap. Uh, so wax cotton doesn't really have those problems. So I think that is the way out of it.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? And obviously there's a lot of fluorocarbons in a lot of waxed cotton products or there has been historically, um, the stuff uses fluorocarbon free, or I request that when they make it for me, it's fluorocarbon free, which has its trade-offs that makes it slightly less waterproof means you need to reproof it more often and things slightly less grease resistant. And yeah, there's always, there's always a reason why they, why they put those things in there in the first place, but often, not enough hindsight and often if it obviously if it if it's, if it's damaging the environment and people then yeah that's not a good way to go it's really interesting to see with the whole um plastics because it's it's interesting you think that's towards the end of the line because i suppose in in the industry i'm in um out, outdoor lifestyle there's there's a lot of it i'm you know i'm very big on natural fiber i don't uh, but thinking of the brands in similar space to me there there's a huge emphasis on recycled Polyester and the fact that it's so circular, and I kind of get the arguments for that. I don't like the feel of it. I don't. You've still got to melt it down. You've still got microplastics every time you every time you wear it, every time you wash it. Like, I just don't think it has the same or it doesn't have the same um, feel. It doesn't have the same breathability. And um, yeah,
0: recycled polyester is just as bad as polyester. So I think that's a a blind alley. And mm. uh, the fluorocarbons. I mean, the reason they've been used. For so long and so much is that they are brilliant you want something waterproof where well, you add the fluorocarbons you want it more waterproof mm. you add more of it mm. and that's a kind of a bit of an industry secret at the moment now because they're going to have to stop using them because there's laws against it but they don't have an alternative but you do have wax cotton which can be made without them and still works mm. as well as the synthetics mm. plus fluorocarbons but mm. it's an alternative that isn't yeah. crap
1: yeah, and it's the same with like, in, you see it in other things like oil-based paints that are being phased out and an oil-based paint will last a lot longer. And when my son's smashing his whatever little car into the, into the um, skirting board, but there's also awful chemicals that, are in the, that stay in the environment for two or three months in, in my actual house that will be breathing in. So it's, yeah, it's those trade-offs for the, for the better
0: so i think people who are more conscious of uh well the environment and also more specifically the products they actually touch and use I Mm. mean, the amount of plastics we have around us i mean sitting here now computers surrounding me all letting off their little nasty (laughs) vapors Mm. um i mean i could definitely see how people would say yep
1: a backpack made out of wax cotton
0: and leather and so forth and uh, probably made yeah i'm all in
1: <laughs> hopefully yeah um but yeah it's it's yeah it's complex and interesting i enjoy having conversations with uh with people that sort of in the industry about it who have their their take on things and yeah interesting about things boasting that things are made from plastic bottles i was i was i was intrigued to, i was chatting with someone who is um they're a product design uh, product designer and they um that they were telling me their their fun fact I haven't fact checked this but their fun fact was that like it it makes much more sense to make plastic bottles out of recycled plastic bottles than it does to make a garment out of the plastic bottles yeah <laughs> like there's there's because there's then the shortage the shortage of plastic bottles to make new plastic bottles from because they're being used to make <laughs> garments just so the brand can say this is made out of 15 plastic bottles or whatever just because it's easier for the customer to swallow and hand over their money for as really being the best solution.
0: The really awful part of that is that they weren't just making garments out of plastic bottles, but they were making them out of brand new plastic bottles because that gave the best grade fabric. Huh. So you were first making plastic bottles out of polyester, whatever plastic they use, and then just mm. taking these and changing them into polyester fabric. Which mm. I th- hopefully that was nipped in the bud because i think a year or two back it was a lot more common right. people were not aware of it at all but once you realize it, it is stupid and also i mean once you made it into a garment it can't be recycled again so you're totally breaking up recycling chains that were established and working
1: because mm. Mm. i guess yeah yeah you're mixing fibers and mixing um mixing components and things so yeah Complex. <laughs> Buy Whenever you really hear good. something is crap,
0: the truth is really worse.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. There you go. Let's go back to Sheffield. Mm. Because you, Sheffield, I mean, uh, stainless steel city, knife makers, and so forth, you did mm. a collaboration there with uh,
1: Eggington Brothers, yeah. A classic um, Barlow knife, I think. Yes. Yeah, I've got that on me actually. Um, yeah, yeah, beautiful. That was that was a that was a funny one. Yeah, um, we're down to our last couple. Yeah, the Joseph Rogers brand, Egerton like Brothers of the factory, and um, yeah. So this was, this was one of the ones I did with a topography uh, etched on the blade. Um, um, yeah, that was cool because that came about. I'd got part of the way through doing designing my backpack buckles, and I'd had them laser cut. From stainless steel by someone in Kelham Island which is a cool part of Sheffield and I couldn't work out how to to um, make them smooth because they were you know really sharp edges which is obviously no good for pulling cotton webbing through um and tried bench grinding them. my friend showed me how to use his bench grinder and I just made a hash of it and it took me half an hour per bag <laughs> so oh, I was like this is not viable <laughs> and yeah, a lot of the companies I spoke to just oh, we tried sandblasting it. That was a a guy in Kellam Island stopped production and tried it on two different courses of sandblasting it, which I've still got actually in my box of here. And one of them kind of bent it out of shape, and one of them just didn't didn't really do anything to it. So we needed the the Goldilocks um, coarseness of sand, but that wasn't really going to work either. And then I was just like, oh, I'm kind of stuck on this point, and and um, and I can't even remember on Instagram I came across something and and um yeah because my my student accommodation used to be literally 100 meters from egerton brothers and i didn't even know they were there and so years you know three or four years later i went back to to visit them uh with a view to making a knife and i was telling them about my backpack project and they're like oh you should bring some of your buckles in here and we can throw them in with the knife blades and and when it polishes them they put them in uh, rumblers and with like little porcelain cylinders and they just gently kind of push them around for for a couple of days basically and it just has an amazing mm. kind of smoothing effect and um yeah and that's how they polish the buckles so i'm literally getting a, a fresh batch of buckles delivered to to james at um Egerton brothers next week and he's going to pop them in with the blades for me so it's yeah so that was really cool i kind of i got distracted with the shiny new idea of doing a collaboration with those guys and it ended up to solve solving the problem that i was getting distracted from so <laughs> so yeah that was a kind of um that was a that was a, cu- a cool moment that just kind of came about. And but I was just blown away by people's willingness to kind of stop production and try and help me when I was trying to do something locally. And just yeah, just how there's a real amazing yeah. I've got a lot of love for Sheffield. I lived there ten years, and it was it is a brilliant city. We were just there last week actually, and it's always great when I go back. And um, and there's just so many um, creative and friendly people. It's such a friendly place to be, and um, an industrious place to be. And yeah, I yeah i i don't know if i'd have been able to design the bag if i was living elsewhere um with such helpful people in quite key moments and other things so yeah i still my t-shirts are still screen printed in sheffield as well so there's there's a strong connection there um and yeah
0: One interesting point you made there was that you were living almost next door to these people and you yeah. didn't know they were there because yeah. i mean there are both a lot of places manufacturing in the uk and at the same time quite few because there's a lot less mm. than there used to be mm. and they also it strikes me they are pretty hidden you have to yeah. kind of look into finding them
1: yeah because they're often on industrial estates aren't they And old yeah this is this is a part of sheffield that is becoming student apartments like every like a lot of cities but because the old buildings that used to make something they've gone to pot and this is this is like dilapidated buildings all around them and then just just them still clinging on and it's still got 1930s Huddersfield made original machines it was like stepping back in time and to photo journal on my website of of there but but yeah it's, it's a challenge and when I when I spoke to James and, and the sock manufacturer I work with in Leicester they're saying the challenge is finding new people to work in the factory people finding they're not short of work they're just short of of workforce and obviously let's not get into the Brexit conversation but, but just young people weren't there's not enough young people seem interested or they're not reaching the right young people or any age people to um, to work for them so that that's a challenge as well um, in British manufacturing.
0: Yeah giving it that uh, the required glamour and uh, well also I mean paying proper wages these days Yeah, which I think traditionally has been a bit of a problem. Mm. Mm. No, i didn't intend that comment to, to sort of to shut us up <laughs>
1: well yeah it's a very um, real thing and a very real thing in 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 britain like you have to be careful with who you work with in britain as well and and um yeah because there's um yeah it, it's the like things abuse goes on and, and like in this factories that's a that's a reality so just just because you're making in Britain, it's just got to know, got to know who you who you're working with, and have those face to face conversations. Um, yeah, I mean, took I've further down the hole there. Sorry,
0: <laughs> quite a few guests on the pod who make in Britain, and I mean, some of the best stories come about when they find people in far off places mm. um, that are just doing their thing. They've always been doing it. They've sort of got enough custom or else they're thinking of giving up or, mm. but still doing their crafty stuff. Mm. Um, but as you say, I mean, it's not, made in Britain doesn't necessarily be made, mean made well in Britain. It just yeah. means it is technically, possibly made at least the finishing <laughs> stages in britain depending on what it is i mean we're completely going off track here now so i'll probably have to remove this bit <laughs> <laughs> i remember just hearing years ago about the rolls-royce factory down by uh down by mm. goodwood mm-hmm. which was about 80 percent staffed by germans and most of the bits they put together to make the cars are just shipped over from germany so but it's still sort of technically made in Britain.
1: Assembled in Britain, yeah, yeah. Hmm.
0: Now, some would argue that it probably makes it a better product, Uh, that it isn't fully made in Britain, but uh, (laughs) everyone has been driving ancient British cars most of their life.
1: No. Um, Yeah, I remember buying a pair of football boots a few years ago, and they said, made in Germany on the tongue, and then you looked at, like, the swing tag and you realise the tongue was made in Germany and the rest was made in China. <laughs> You're like, how Ugh. can you get away with that? That is outrageous. Um, yeah, I think they've just gone yeah, whole hog now and just be like made in China. <laughs> but well, I found it mean, really interesting.
0: Just trying to find out what made in Britain actually legally involves is a mm. little bit tricky because I think it is a bit mm. vague. Mm. Which makes it even more important to actually show that this is done, this is done, this is done. Yeah. Leslie sews our bags.
1: Yeah, yeah. We just, um, our friend Harry, he he went to Leslie's workshop literally like two or three years ago. So we've just got a photo journal up on the website. Um, it's the first one on our website, um, or the latest one, I should say. And yeah, and it shows it literally like rolling out the fabric and, and the process. But yeah, um, yeah, you're right. It's um, it's interesting. I don't I don't actually know. <laughs> but all of our products that say made in the UK are, made in the uk (laughs) proper um but yeah but yeah it's it's an interesting i don't know where the line is on the legal stance and who's checking what
0: (laughs) i think no one's really checking anything because that would become (laughs) a bit uncomfortable but yeah i mean a lot of the time it's the personal touch i mean i love the belts that tom at hawksmoth leather makes because Mm. he's actually showing you all week on his instagram making your belt. And there's yeah, a waiting yeah. list because you can only make that many. Um and there's other brands as well where you I mean the stuff they're making is so unique, different,
1: specific that you couldn't just make it
0: somewhere else. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think obviously, yeah, showing showing not just telling people, show showing people that provenance and showing people that craft and the skill and the, the personal aspect to it like who who actually made it and yeah is 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 huge and the only way to compete if you are because you can't compete on margin if you make it in this country um and for some people yeah i suppose kind of alluding back to something you mentioned earlier um i think when someone makes a purchase and there is that more if you tell more of a story and there's more of a story for them to tell i don't mean in a gloaty way of oh this was made by leslie and whatever but I, but in a genuine like there's a personal connection for this for me because I know where it was made and I know that Leslie made it and I know she's got all this experience and I know what she looks like and I know um you know that she's got a lot of years behind her and yeah I think that that makes it something you're going to look after more look after more and something that means more to you so you're more likely to um yeah keep it for a long time um I think that's part of it and part of what you know I try to do better and better I've got some ideas of things like to do more, more video stuff and more storytelling, but it's yeah, it's always um, a matter of time challenge.
0: A couple of brands come to mind that um, where the person who makes it actually signs their name inside it, hmm. and you can, if you're a bit of a stalker, go on their website and find that actual person who made it, which I think is very nice. Let's see, showing yes. me a bag, and inside Ali, it Ali,
1: says Ali made this one. So this was this was prototyped in Cornwall. This was a prototype of our Logan, which I've got. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I get the free prototype. It's not free, but you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, They're yeah, the this most was, expensive that, ones, far from yeah, the free. <laughs> yeah. Blowing yes, yeah, th- that was yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, but it, it's nice. It's it's real. Yeah, the few, Yeah, I can think of a few other brands that do that nicely as well. It just makes it real. So, 2023 autumn.
0: You've been at it for ten years. What do you see next? What's happening?
1: Next. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I started in my lunch hours, um, yeah, 10 years ago. So it's it's kind of, it's been a gradual sort of building up from there. I went full-time in 20, 2019, shortly after moving down here. Um, yeah. In terms of what's next, um, I mentioned the collaboration with Walsh's that's, that's, uh, that's coming out very soon. Um, I've got a few other cool collaboration ideas that I can't talk about just yet because they're still very embryonic. Um, you could hint at I <laughs> uh, there's expanding the backpack range. Really, I'd I'd love to design a messenger bag and see how yeah how those how that design language translates to a messenger bag um, and as well as a as a tote bag and um, yeah and and just seeing where I can expand the options the options sort of in with our backpacks and, and creating more sort of, um, entry level points or, more, or accessorize like, um, utility packs where people, you know, I've got, I've got one from the original batch when we did a utility pack years ago, where I, that I always keep my mouse in and this and, um, wires in that are super useful. So yeah, doing a re a re spin of, reimagining our utility pack would be good. And yeah, just, um, um, yeah, I suppose exploring exploring more of the backpack range would be great. Um mentioned shirt, shirts that I'm working on. Yeah, I I do I do like to have new challenges and and projects on the horizon for sure, but um yeah, like uh working with someone else locally um on some ramblers journals that we've just kind of put out so doing more of that and a few other ideas so the offcuts from the wax cotton backpacks making um yeah, making journals like yeah, that I use every day. So, um, yeah, she, her studio is literally like 50 meters as the crow flies, just there. <laughs> so, yeah, looking at how who I can work with locally to make use of offcuts and things, and things like that. Um, yeah, so a, f- a few things on the horizon, and, and and just looking at how, as a business, like how how can we grow the team and, and make make the numbers work and get people in, get someone in who's more got their head around the numbers, just recognizing my place in the team and where that is, uh, which is focused around the design, which I love, but having getting some more support on on making the numbers work, I suppose, as well, from a from a um from a, a practical sense, business point of view. But yeah, it's all fun and games.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you're not tempted to, to give up in the face of all the adversity?
1: Uh I have my, i have more difficult days <laughs> um but yeah it's, it's a challenge i've just being honest like anyone who says that they don't have that thought is is not being honest with themselves or with anyone like it's it's tough it's rough running your own business like and when you set out um yeah with passion and a dream and ideas and the creativity and you know the things that fuel you and then the realities of running a business and all the other things that you have to do in order to fuel and enable the bit that really gives you the energy and yeah it's a challenge but um yeah i'm I'm hopeful that if i can reach enough people and get my story out and and be smart with who i work with and the collaborations that i do and yeah the joy is still there it's um so i'll keep going while the joy is still there i guess
0: now i realized i should have asked you an hour and 15 minutes ago the level collective
1: What's the idea with the name? Yeah. Sorry. It just got it. um, yeah. Um, so with the name, um, <laughs> there's been various times I've regretted picking such a long name cause it's quite difficult to, um, to work into things and designs, which is why I mostly translate to a nice pine cone, uh, which any marketeer would be like, why aren't you using your customers as a billboard? And I'm like, well, Cause I don't like using people as billboards <laughs> cause there's more respect yeah. than that. So I suppose it's subtlety. It creates conversation. If they really want to know where your lovely hat or bags from, they're just going to have to ask you. Um, yeah, it came from, um, level was really about balance. It was about fairness to everyone involved in, in the process. Um, and, and right the way to the customer, not being ripped off, not being charged a price at this point, And then, you know, six weeks later, it's, it's in the sale at 60% off. Like, um, yeah. So I suppose it's, uh, it's kind of, it's yeah, it's fairness throughout and, and balance and kind of, um, balanced living is also like a bit of a strap line I use, um, which kind of links in with the level, which is about kind of finding a balance between meaningful work and graft as well as a restful connection from being outside. That's where I reconnect. That's where I re, um, orient myself i suppose like being being in the sea or walking on the coastal path or walking in the peaks like i yeah for me that's that's what re-energizes me and that's that's um yeah that's where i get my energy and 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 that's a big part of what the the brand is kind of inspiring people to to get outside and and to be there and, and not just go through the motions not just get the pictures for instagram but actually benefit from being in those wild spaces as um yeah as i think has obviously been in in the popular conversation a lot in recent years, like is (laughs) because it's good for us. (laughs) Um, and like the collective aspect is the different makers and illustrators that I collaborate with to, to develop ideas and bring ideas to life. Um, so there's a collective on, from the creative, um, perspective on on making the product, um, as well as customers as well. I want them to feel like they're part of a collective, a community, a um, um, a, a shared sense of values like that's what a brand is isn't it like a gathering around well at a, at a deeper level some people maybe not they just like the look of the t-shirt and that's fine but um, I guess customers who've dug a little deeper and um, had a look a bit more around the website and things will will buy in at a, at a value level and certainly for the more um, yeah for the, the more investment pieces um where there's more of a story behind it and more sharing. So, yeah. Um, I think, I've, I think I've covered all the, all the elements of the name, but yeah, there's been many times where I've, where I've been like, I wish I picked a shorter name that was, was easier to work with. And like, do I need to give it a new name? And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> we've come this far. We'll just, we'll, um, yeah. And, and yeah, I often get people saying that it's quite memorable and a bit, a bit different rather than just a single syllable word or, you know, um, but well, yeah, it's quite convoluted, and I do get people asking me about the name a few times, so maybe it's doing its job. <laughs> what did you, What sprung to mind when I, you heard the name or read the name?
0: I just thought you were a huge TLC fan.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want no scrubs, but um, yeah. Who people... <laughs> else
0: are starting a cult? I don't
1: know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, people are doing it like TLC for, like, you know, obviously, tend, tend to live and care and stuff. But I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, that's not quite what I was aiming at. But um, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, the the, the Nauties Girl Group uh, were a huge inspiration to me, I must say. And I just had to find words that, that, that match the acronym. That's the true story. Yeah.
0: yeah. I believe you. <laughs> now, is there anything we should have covered that we haven't, or anything that you'd like to mention?
1: I don't think so I suppose I yeah people know to google the level collective or go to level collective I don't want really, obviously I like that it's it's not addy at all and I hope I didn't come across salesy at all um, Well Mark that does seem like a good place to uh, to end things today thank you yeah, so much for joining me Yeah thanks for having me it's been uh, it's been really fun talking to you thanks for your great questions So uh, bye bye for now Yeah, bye for now. Keep up the great work.
0: And that was all for this week's episode of Garmology. Hit subscribe or follow to automatically download next week's episode as soon as it's published. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate a review and a rating. If you listen on Spotify, you can also leave a rating. If you'd like to get in touch, my email is welldresseddad at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram as welldresseddad. There's also a Gomology podcast account on Instagram. Again, links and details in the show notes, including a link to the Patreon details. And uh, see you again next week. Bye-bye for now.